Hey, good morning. Do you want some good news? Two more people got saved last week. Which is super fun. And at the same time, there's all sorts of other testimonies coming out. We're just hearing them all over the place. I love the one that Mariah shared about Jason. There was somebody else who I heard got healed this week after taking communion. Then this week, I also heard a testimony of somebody who got set free from drug addiction after like, somebody prayed with them. Somebody prayed and was like, hey, what do you want? And they were like, I don't wanna be addicted to drugs anymore. And they said, okay, we'll pray for that. Boom, gone, done. Isn't that amazing? And so we're just hearing so much stuff like that right now. We're just, people are confessing stuff, asking the Lord to come in, and, and there's some alignment that we're watching just start to happen, which is so fun. And, you know, we're watching testimonies of things happening instantly, but then we're watching also testimonies of people getting free by just day by day by day choosing Jesus. And then how many people, how many people were here last week for Amy's message? on the cornerstone and the plumb line of Jesus. Man, if you missed it, I would really encourage you to go to our podcast and listen to it. You can get it on the app. You can go there from our website. But it was such a foundational message. And, you know, given that Amy is a prophet, it was very prophetic (laughs) at the same time to where we are as a church. What's really interesting and what you wouldn't know is that behind the scenes, and it's something that really came out of our time in the prayer room, was this really, really strong feeling of we need to go into a season where we really just preach about Jesus. Surprised, you know, in church you preach about Jesus. But that we actually really strongly felt that we needed to take our time over a long period of time. You know how it says in Hebrews that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus? right? The author and finisher of our faith. He's the starting and he's the ending point. And so we have felt and we had been working on a plan that over a a longer period of time, we're going to go through a series where we really just come back and begin to measure our alignment to the person of Jesus. And, And so when Amy came and said, we need to talk about Jesus, the plumb line, we were like, that's what we're going to do for the next little while. And and so I loved what she talked about, how Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith, which means that Jesus is the starting point. Jesus is the foundation that we lay. So when we drill down into our lives and get all the way down to the bottom, what should be there? Jesus. At the center, Jesus. Right? We don't want to find anything else there because otherwise, what are we going to be building on? Not Jesus. But then it's the idea that as we go through the journey, everything that gets built into our life, everything that gets added into our life, everything that we go after is measured against the plumb line of Jesus. So it's the foundation and the journey, right? The foundation and the journey. And, and you know, anybody who grew up in, in Sunday school, school probably knows the verse in John 14, 6 that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who said that? Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what I find mind-blowing is that's actually a truth that's being challenged in the church today. 
Like not just in the world, that's the truth. There's universalism is a thing that's kind of coming through churches right now. And universalism is a belief that says there's many ways to God and everybody will be saved. That a loving God would never send anybody to hell. And so within streams of the church, they're adopting a different way. And people get really offended at the idea that Jesus would be the only way. And they say it's too narrow. It's too narrow that we would say that Jesus is the only way. Well, you know, there's this other scripture, Matthew 7, and I have this up here, come to God through the narrow gate. Because the wide gate and the broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses that crowded road. The narrow gate and the difficult way leads to eternal life, so few find it. And so that complaint of it being too narrow to only have to come in through Jesus, I'm like, I'm sorry, but Jesus said that himself. I I can't create a different truth for you if I wanna be a follower of Jesus. And that idea, you know, so what we, we want to talk about and what we're going to be calling the series that's going to extend out over the next period of time is called The Way of Jesus. And we, you know how I said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Sometimes we get this idea of like, we understand the truth of Jesus more as the, theology or doctrine or, or whatever, and we don't always look at the way of Jesus, What is the way of Jesus? Well, the way of Jesus is the lifestyle piece of it. And when you look it up in the concordance from that scripture coming through the difficult way, that word way means, and it's up here, a traveler's way, a journey, a course of conduct, a way of thinking, feeling, or deciding. And so what I would say from that is when we come to Jesus, we come in through the narrow way, the narrow gate, but then we get onto the way of Jesus, which is the journey, which is the road that we begin to walk. But the road that we begin to walk with Jesus actually also influences our conduct. It influences our way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. And you know, it's so interesting when you get to that passage where it says, come into the narrow gate and through the difficult way. And I looked up the word difficult in the concordance because I wanted it to mean something else. I'm like, oh, maybe in the Greek it means something else than difficult. Maybe it means something a little less challenging. It doesn't. It means difficult. It really is come onto the difficult way. And you know, Nobody wants to preach a message about a difficult way. Everyone's like, ugh, that doesn't sound like fun. But really what that means, what it means is that salvation is only just the beginning. Right? Salvation is the point that we enter in, but then it's the ongoing journey of what we walk with Jesus that happens after that. And the reason that it's called narrow and the reason that it's called difficult is because, I mean, this is not a new message in our house. We know this, but we know that salvation isn't just a get out of jail free card, right? We know that salvation isn't just this one-time transaction, pray a prayer, guaranteed heaven, and go about doing whatever you want to do. There's, that's not the narrow way. That one's the wide way. 
The way where, hey, the wide way is the way that's easy. It doesn't challenge your lifestyle. You can do whatever you want. You are so free, so free on that way, and it's nice and easy, and it leads all the way to destruction. And there's this other way that we enter into because salvation is truly actually a lordship transaction. Salvation isn't just this prayer that we pray and say the nice words, right? Because salvation says we confess with our mouth and we believe with our heart, what? That Jesus is Lord. So we actually enter into a lordship transaction and that's the reason it's called narrow. That's the reason it becomes difficult because we actually are saying self, me, living for myself is no longer my center and my goal. Living for Jesus, you know, because the Bible talks about I die to me, live for him, right? So living for Jesus becomes my center and my goal. He becomes enthroned and I become dethroned. And so then we enter on this journey where it says, I no longer live for myself. Well, that way is a day after day after day way. So that way is tomorrow and the next day and the next day. What does it look like to not live for self but to live for Christ? That's the difficult way. And the reason it's challenging is because we've got a whole bunch of natural instincts that want to pull us in all sorts of other directions. Right? I mean, I don't know if anybody else experiences that. I don't always want to, in my natural flesh, live for Jesus. Some days I want to take a weekend from that and just do whatever I want. In the flesh. I mean, can we be honest about that? Is that just me? You're like, no. And, and you know, so dis- discipleship has been a really hot topic in the church lately, and it should be. But, you know, I noticed that that's a global conversation in the church is about discipleship. And obviously our commission, when Jesus goes back up to heaven, his commission that he gave us was go and make disciples. But part of the reason that we need to really look at it is because I am not sure that it means to us now what it meant to the disciples when Jesus said it. Go with the commission to go and make disciples. I'm curious to know what that meant to the disciples because sometimes we make it just about like, hey, come join my church, come into a level of moral conduct and maybe adopt a political party. And that's not discipleship. The idea of being a disciple, you know, and you notice when Jesus walked on the earth, he didn't say, come and be my convert. Come and be my convert. No, he said, come and be my disciple. And another word, another word for that word disciple, and perhaps one that we would understand a little bit more, is come and be my apprentice. Come and be my apprentice, which means we sit under him as the master and our job is to be a learner. Come and be my disciple. I begin to learn. And there's three things about being an apprentice. 
And these are the things that we're gonna be going after in our series section by section over these next few ones. The first is, is to be an apprentice of Jesus and to learn from Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. So the step one is be with Jesus. And then as we be with Jesus, there's the, the, the next one comes into play as an apprentice. We become like Jesus. And then the third one is we begin to do what Jesus did. I know that's not rocket science. But that's what we're going to be going after because we really want to capture what it means. If I'm going to make disciples, I really want to make sure that I'm a disciple first. So we need to look at what that means. And, and you know, it brought me back. You know, if you think about Jesus talking to his disciples, and right about as he's going up to heaven, he says, Therefore, I want you to go and make disciples. And I'm wondering how they processed that. Because if you look at the way that they became disciples, and I find this so interesting, in Luke 5, you see the miracle of when Jesus fills Peter's boat with fish after he's fished all night and caught nothing. How many people are watching The Chosen right now? Oh, man. Oh, man. I, that, you, you get a whole different picture of it when you watch it and you see it, but The Chosen is, is a series that people have made on the life of Jesus. It's really good. But, but anyway, so you see this miracle in Luke 5 where Jesus just, he's like, hey, put your net on the other side. And they do, and it fills their boat with fish. And whatever, and, and these are some of the things I want to ask in heaven. Like, what was it, Peter, about a boat full of fish that you fell to the ground and said, I'm a sinful man? That's all it took. And then Jesus says, come follow me. And it says, they pulled their boats to shore, left them behind and followed him. And then further in Luke 5, you see when he calls Matthew. And, and it says, afterwards, Jesus went out and looked for a man named Matthew. He found him sitting at his tax booth, for he was a tax collector. Jesus said to him, be my disciple and follow me. That very moment, Matthew got up, left everything behind and followed him. Like he literally just got up and walked away. That amazes me. And sometimes I wonder if we put it into our context today of kind of what we maybe have seen it demonstrated what it looks like. I just wonder how differently we would do it. Like Peter has this moment where he's like, I'm a sinful man. And we'd be like, good, Peter. Good. Now, Peter, I'm going to need you to pray this prayer. Right? Jesus, thank you that you saved me from my sins. I confess you. I'm my savior. Okay, good. That's awesome. I'll see you at church on Sunday, Peter. Actually, you know what? You're a fisherman. Also, maybe drink a little less. And perhaps, I know fishermen are kind of a rough crowd, so maybe cut back on the cussing. In fact, there's this really good face that you can do when people cuss so that they know that you're a Christian, so they don't cuss around you, Right? Now, obviously, I'm being silly, but, but I, I, you know, I, and then I wonder with Matthew. You know, Matthew was a tax collector, which meant that he was actually an outcast from among his people. Because tax collectors were people who worked for the Romans to take taxes from the Jewish. But they would, they, so they were a Jewish man taking taxes from his own people 
on behalf of those who had conquered them. And often they took extra for themselves. So they became wealthy on the backs of their own people, right? So they were outcasts. And I mean, let's just be honest. Hey, Matthew, you know, Jesus came for everybody, so he came for you too. But you're a little bit weird. So I don't think you would really fit into my small group that well. Why don't you start a small group for tax collectors? Then you can hang out with people just like you. It won't make me uncomfortable. And perhaps it will meet the need that you have for community. And yet Jesus says, come follow me. Come be with me. Come learn with me. And you know, we're gonna, we've actually broken those things down. The be with me, become like me, do what I do. We've broken them down into further topics in each of those things. And we're going to go into them in detail. So really all I'm doing today is laying a foundation and giving you an invitation to go on this journey with us. So I'm not going to get into each of these topics in, in depth. I just kind of want to scan over them and give a few thoughts. But the idea of being with Jesus... I just wonder how much the disciples learned by being in his presence. And I wonder how much they learned, you know, and you see these moments where Jesus sits with them and he teaches them and and he tells them things and that becomes so much of the learning. But another part of the learning is watching Jesus respond in a way that we don't think he's going to respond or watching how Jesus handles certain situations. You know, when you're with Jesus, it's amazing to see when he's not angry, when you are angry. When he's not offended, when you are offended. When he has compassion, when you're annoyed. You know, and I just wonder how much of the lessons for the disciples came in simply just watching him be so gracious situation after situation. And, and, you know, as I read the Gospels and I'm thinking about it through this lens, I, you start seeing it through different eyes. You know, you look, there's a situation where people are bringing their little kids to Jesus and Jesus is blessing them, right? He's happy and he's laying his hands on them and he's blessing them. And there's something that rises up in the disciples. And I think it's like they're so captured by how important Jesus is. Like, Jesus is too important for the little children. So he starts scolding them and trying to send them away. They start, and Jesus is like, no, no, let the children come. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Actually, can I show you a demonstration of what the kingdom is like through these children? And there's this adjustment that has to go on. Oh, I thought Jesus was too important for the little children, but he's not. Oh, that's going to have to mess with me for a little while. Right? You know, and then they're sitting with Jesus and they're arguing about who's the greatest. Which, I mean, I'm like, man, they must have had times where it was embarrassing to think and talk about what they were talking about in front of Jesus. But when we're with Jesus, this happens in the same way when we're in his presence and he starts being like, oh, that's really interesting. You're not thinking a thought that I'm thinking. You know, and so the disciples are arguing who's greatest and, and it seems like 
a great conversation until Jesus is like, oh, oh no, no. The religious leaders do that. Not so with you. Him who among you is the greatest is the one who's the servant. Look, I'm among you as one who serves. And not that much later, he gets up and washes their feet. <sighs> right? As we, as we be with Jesus, there's just certain attitudes and ways of thinking that have to be challenged because we realize, man, there's ways that I don't think like you that have to change. And so as we be with Jesus, what then starts to happen? We become like Jesus. If we allow the process to have its work. You know, it's this process of, you know, we hang out with him and we start seeing what he's like. And there's this principle in the Bible that's like we become like that which we behold. So what we become is a product of what we spend our time with and what we spend our time gazing at. And whether we like it or not, that's a principle that just happens. So if we spend our time with Jesus and we spend our time looking at him, there's this thing that kicks into place that means we become like him. And there's some repentance that goes on and some choices that happen and some laying down that happens. And then as we begin to walk through different circumstances, this thing comes into play where he uses the circumstances to refine us. Right? So you're like the disciples who are in a boat in a storm and Jesus is fast asleep and they're freaking out. And you know, these guys are fishermen, so can you imagine how bad the storm has to be to upset some fishermen? Bad. You know, and they wake Jesus up like, Jesus, don't you care? We're perishing out here. And Jesus is like, Why are you afraid? And then he teaches them, oh, I have authority in this moment. Actually, if you weren't afraid, you could have had authority in this moment too. And so what happens, you learn as you're with Jesus, oh, so next time I face a storm, I'm going to do what you did. I actually can have peace in a storm. Is it making sense? And as we practice being with him, the honest thing that happens is we're on this walk with him and step by step as we go, he says, oh. And you see these conversations that he has along the way with his disciples where Peter's like, how many times do I have to forgive Jesus? Seven times good, right? If I forgive seven times, I'm pretty good, aren't I? And Jesus is like, no. No, 70 times seven. What's he saying? Oh, actually, if you're walking with me, you can't carry on forgiveness. I'm gonna have to let, you're gonna have to lay that down. I'm just gonna narrow that path a little bit, right? Oh, if you're walking with me, we're gonna address those places of insecurity. Let's not carry that on this journey. You know what? Let's address your attachment to money. While we're on this path, let's let that one go. And piece by piece, the walk with Jesus begins to shape us because there's things he asks us to leave along the way. Yes? 
And the evidence that we're being with Jesus is that we become like him. And the reality is, this is a journey of time and presence. Journey of time and presence. Because look, all the way to the end, they still needed help. The disciples. I mean, all the way to the end, Peter still denied Jesus. It's a journey of time and presence. It happens over time. But along the way, we get shaped. And we discover, oh, I actually have compassion where I didn't used to have compassion. There are things that no longer come out of my mouth that used to come out of my mouth. There are habits that I've found the ability to get mastery over. And then the other part of being a disciple is that we do what he did. We do what he did. And, and you'll see in Luke 9, in Luke 9, when you watch the progression, Jesus now, it says he's traveled across the countryside and the disciples were with him. So by now they've traveled across the countryside. He's done miracles everywhere he went. It says all that came to him was healed. And then in Luke 9, he gathers the disciples to him. He says, I'm gonna give you this authority. He instructs him, I want you to go heal the sick, preach the kingdom and demonstrate. Demonstrate that the kingdom is here. And he sends them out. And it actually says that months later, the disciples returned. Did you know that? They were gone for months. There's like this whole gap in scripture that I'm so curious for that book. You know, I mean, it already says that all the miracles that Jesus did couldn't be written, but in the months that the disciples were sent out in all different directions, who knows what happened? But when they came back, they were rejoicing. Right? They, they went and they demonstrated the kingdom realm wherever they went. And that is normal. That is normal, the normal life of a believer. You know, in the commission in Mark 9 that Jesus said, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. What? Heal the sick, raise the dead. And I just, you know, there is something that's happening on the earth right now that that, that is being reestablished. The signs that follow those who believe. The signs that follow those who believe. Not just those who are specially appointed and anointed for signs, wonders, and miracles. No, the signs follow who? How many people believe in this room? Signs follow you. And that's not a word of condemnation if that's not your experience. It's a word of invitation. Because there's no reason that that's not your story. And so we invite, it's, it's a part of the journey of like, hey, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Because the more we make room for him, the more it begins to flow out of our lives. And so the idea of when Jesus said, go and make disciples, the assignment that then the disciples were given was follow me as I am a follower of Christ. Follow me as I'm a follower of Christ, right? So when we go make disciples, we say, come follow me, I'm following Jesus. So we wanna make sure that we're following Jesus. Because you know that there's a difference between acknowledging Jesus, 
That's the word I'd use, acknowledging Jesus as a savior and following him as your Lord. You know there's a difference? You know, it's really about what governs me. If self lives at the center, if I live for what pleases me, the reality is, is I'm on the easy road. You know, the danger is that we can fool ourselves into thinking like I can have a relationship with God that I can control. That there's a God compartment of my life and I can visit God on Sundays and check a box that keeps us okay. And I love how what John Mark Homer calls it in that, that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which, do we have it here? Next week. So there's a couple of books that are really influencing us in this season. One is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The other one is called The Practice, thank you, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. Super good. We have both of them. They're going to be up next week because we're really going to encourage you to dig into the resources as we go through this. But I love what he says is he says, often the danger is, is that we want the life of Jesus without following the lifestyle of Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. Often we want the life of Jesus without following the lifestyle of Jesus. And if I could give you an analogy for that, I mean, you saw that CrossFit video that we just did, right? Now, we went into the CrossFit gym on Friday to do that. And you're seeing these people come out of the CrossFit class and they're in their nice athletic gear. And these people are like, they look good. Like they have muscles where I don't have muscles. And, and you're like, man, you guys are impressive. And you see some of these things that they can do. And you're like, that's impressive. And you're kind of like, I, 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 I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that result. You know, and, and so you're, you're just a little bit like, whoa. You know, I kind of dream of, of being like that. I don't think I've ever had actual muscles in my life. I may be skinny, but I have not had muscles. And so we go in and you start thinking like, maybe I could do CrossFit. And then David's like, you're going to get on these bikes. They're called torture bikes. Torture bikes. And it's like, and here's what you're going to do. For 20 seconds, you're going to go as hard as you can. And then you're going to rest for 10 seconds. Well, we did that for 60 seconds, like 20, 10, 20, 10, 20, 10. I was still out of breath about 20 minutes later. And then we did like three burpees. And a couple other things. Well, honest truth is, yesterday, I'm like going through the day like, why are my muscles so sore? I just, I, did I sleep funny? It was like halfway through the day that I reckoned 60 seconds on the torture bike and three burpees. <laughs> and my muscles are that sore. You know, and, and you, you're suddenly going like, I want the results that these people have. I just don't want to go through the pain to get there. Right? So maybe I'll go to McDonald's instead. <laughs> you know, but the reality is, it's like, let's be honest, being buff is going to stay a fantasy unless I commit to the lifestyle. Like, I'd probably have to get up early. I'd probably have to go through sore muscles. I'd probably have to do things that look horrible. And I'd probably have to do a little less McDonald's to get there. And yet, so often, we're like that in our relationship with Jesus. 
You know, how often do people come on a Sunday and, and we get inspired or we, we like what we see as the product of their life and we say, that's right, on Monday, on Monday I'm going to start. New ways, new, and then Monday comes and you like hit snooze 500 times. Tuesday, Tuesday I'm going to start. And I do some work with marriages, and it's so interesting to me that people come and they're in a real state of brokenness. Like basically, we need a miracle or our marriage is going to fall apart. And really often, there's, like, there's been some kind of addiction involved. It's not uncommon that there's been pornography addiction. And you've got the point that one person is ready to leave the other. And the two most common things that I hear is, but love never fails and God hates divorce. And I'm always like, look, you can't invoke the results of love that you want without practicing the way of love. Like if you want love that never fails, then get in alignment with what love looks like. You know, you you just can't, your life is a result. There's something else that John Mark Comer says, your life is a result of your lifestyle. If your lifestyle reflects the practices of Jesus, then his life is produced as a result. You know, if you're investing your time in all sorts of the other things that are available, if, oh, if you just spend your time just in the news cycle and with everything that what the world tells you, what's the result gonna be? There, there's this, this is um, passage of scripture that I've always found really challenging. You know, it's from Mark 10 and it's up here and it's the, the rich man that came to Jesus. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man came running up to him, kneeling down in front of him. He cried out, good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You already know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give a false testimony, do not cheat and honor your father and mother. The man said to Jesus, teacher, I have carefully obeyed these laws since my youth. Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love and said to him, yet there is still one thing you are lacking. Go sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, then all of your treasure will be in heaven. After you have done this, come back and walk with me. Or in another translation, it says, come and follow me. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. You know, it's good sometimes to wrestle with scripture that makes you uncomfortable. Because Jesus actually didn't make it easy. And I think sometimes we so badly want people to get saved that we actually make it too easy. And we're not actually like, no, we're crossing into a lordship transaction. And I just, for you look at this scripture and it's so interesting that the very first question out of this guy's mouth is, what must I do? What must I do? You know, if we keep that about something that I do, it's like I'm looking for something that's in the realm that I can control. Give me a box that I can check to guarantee eternal life. Right? And so if you've ever wondered why Jesus refers him back to the Old Testament commandments, it's because the Old Testament commandments were impossible for anybody to fulfill. And the goal was is that they pointed you to your need for a savior. 
right? So when you want through that system and over and over and over again, you had to offer a sacrifice because you couldn't do it, what it was supposed to do was arise a hunger in your heart that I can't do it. I need a savior. So when Jesus pointed him back to the commandments, the goal was for the confession of, oh, but I need a savior. And instead he says, oh no, I've been doing all of that since I was young. I, can I tell you, impossible actually. And, and, and so what was going on in this guy's life actually was a lordship issue. It was the fact that you wanted something you can do. You're not looking for a savior. And so Jesus challenged him in the area of lordship. If you're looking for something that you can do, then go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And what happened? The guy couldn't do it. He needed a savior. But because he was unwilling to do a lordship transaction, he walked away sad. And here's what shocks us. Jesus let him go. He didn't chase him. He didn't water it down. He didn't make the requirement easier. And it's easy for us to look at it and be like, dude, bad choice. Like you traded eternity for money. But I think, you know, did anyone as a kid wrestle with the fact that if they fully surrendered to God, he would send them to Africa? Or was that just me? Going to be honest. Then when I got older, I went on a missions trip to somewhere that was 65 degrees below zero. And then I was like, God, send me to Africa. That if we be honest with ourselves, I think there is places of fear in our hearts sometimes that if we fully surrender to Jesus, what's that gonna mean? You know, like, is he gonna ask for all of our money? Now, let me tell you, Jesus didn't do that method with everybody. That's the one time you see it. Because why? There was a lordship issue. He went straight to the lordship issue. If you can't serve two masters, which one are you gonna serve? Make your choice. But sometimes we just wrestle with this idea of like, if I fully surrender everything to Jesus, am I gonna become like one of those crazy Jesus people? Like, am I gonna turn into a bit of a weirdo? Is he gonna take everything and ask for everything? Am I gonna be left with nothing? And this is where I love the emphasis that Dennis carries in this house over and over again, where he talks about what you gain is so much more than what you lose. And it's this incorrect revelation of the Father if we come all the way up to the lordship line and we become so afraid that what we'll lose and we think, you know, like, no, he's a good father. He's a good father. He doesn't just delight in taking everything away and, you know, leaving some kind of empty shell. No, he wants to fill us with himself. He promises life in the fullness, but resurrection always comes on the other side of death. And we want resurrection life, but we're afraid of the death. And the truth is, resurrection has to follow death. There's this this passage actually in the Passion that's called What It Means to Be a Follower of Jesus. I'm gonna skip over that piece. Oh, I will say this. Here's the contrast. The wealthy young man comes to Jesus 
What must I do? Won't let it go. But if you notice, the Bible talks about one other encounter that Jesus has with a wealthy man, and that's Zacchaeus. And when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he doesn't have to say anything. Zacchaeus' immediate response, right now I will give away half of my possessions to the poor and anybody that I've cheated, I'll pay them back four times over. Which I'm like, that math doesn't even work. He's got nothing left. Right? But the reality is, is Zacchaeus in his hunger and his need for a savior bowed. He was a wealthy man who'd been cheating people. So money was his Lord, but in the presence of Jesus, it bowed like that. He had a lordship transaction and Jesus' response, this is what he said, today salvation has come to this man's house. It wasn't a conversion prayer, it was a lordship change, right? In, In Matthew Mark 8, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that's what it's actually titled. Jesus summoned the crowd and had them gather and he said, if you truly wanna follow me, you at once completely disown your life and you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you can continually surrender to my ways. Continually surrender to the way of Jesus, right? And it says, but if you let your life go for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will continually experience true life. That's the promise. We don't get afraid of the death because we long for the resurrection that's on the other side. True life, life in all its fullness, it's promised in so many ways. And I know that this isn't necessarily a new message, but there's been something that's been happening in our midst and you know, really got lit on fire through the encounter weekend is we're just noticing people have a supernatural increase of hunger. And in the place of hunger, we're noticing, we're seeing people surrender and confess and repent and they're coming into alignment. And what we've sensed in some of the prophetic words that came out is like there's an invitation into awakening that's happening right now. And I just want everybody, as we launch into this series about following Jesus, I wanna make sure that that invitation has gone out to step in, to surrender again, to come into like, hey, I'm gonna bring my life into alignment with the person of Jesus. And so Dennis, I'm gonna let you take it from there. <laughs> Just Everybody, why don't we stand up? <clears throat> Thank you, Carla. Good word, good word, good word. Two practical things you can do um, if you're looking for a way to say yes is really what we're inviting you into is a more intense following of Christ, inviting you into his presence. There, you can Google red letter challenge, red letter challenge, and actually it's a way for you to get into the words of Christ. And you can abide in the words of Christ. There's a lot of promises that from heaven, if you abide in my words, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So Red Letter Challenge, you can Google that. Also, you can just get in the Gospels and just start reading and just like dwell on the life of Christ. One of our biggest challenges as believers, if you've been a believer for a while, is we get familiar with stories, and we don't sit and dwell and meditate and get the new revelation that God wants to give. The word is living. It's not a written word, it's a living word. And so if you get in the Gospels and just like practically dwell on the life of Christ and become a follower of Christ by being in his presence, 
the whole deal, guys, and she mentioned is really honestly, it's the Apostle Paul says it best. I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And our prayer is that every one of us would be captured by the love of Christ. That it wouldn't be a duty, though sometimes it is discipline. That isn't discipline, is a disciple. But ultimately, it's your love life. For where your treasure is, there's your heart. Could you put your hand on your hearts? Lord, thank you for the invitation, the, the fresh invitation from heaven over us as your people to follow you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're, you're screaming to the church, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Don't be distracted with the world. Get your eyes on me. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm just going to invite you to make a decision before the Lord this morning. And a simple decision, but just say, I choose Jesus again. Can you say that out loud? I choose Jesus again. Father, I invite you to draw the, the gift of hunger, that you would just release the gift of hunger in every person's heart. Any place, Lord, where we've been calloused or hard or in a rut, Lord, bring us to that place of repentance that we can get fully embraced with the fresh presence of Jesus himself. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Good word. Let's go on this journey together, huh? All right. If you need prayer, if you need Jesus, we got prayer team right here to pray with you. Otherwise, have an amazing week.